Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. This weekend, we want to talk a bit about your work, God's work. And what we did last weekend is we just asked a number of people, what do you do for work and do you enjoy it? And so here are some of their answers for you today. Um, I'm uh, working as a business analyst in, a, in the NZ Bank. Uh, I do it because, um, one, it's, it's, uh, banking has always been my passion, and it has been a career, and it's been a great blessing to my family. I work as a Christian chaplain for uh, a service residential care place, and I work with the underprivileged, and I believe that uh, as we're all created in God's image, uh, they demand our respect and our love and concern. I'm a blogger, and I, I'm a beauty blogger, and I enjoy it because, um, well, it's, I love writing. I love writing, and I like beauty, and I've been doing it for a while now, and I enjoy it. I'm an IT consultant, so I work at uh, a software, SAP software, so that's what I do for work. Uh, it's analysis and technical uh, things that I like about my work. Uh, I worked for, well, I've worked most of my life in the airline industry, and I guess the main reason I enjoy it is because uh, I enjoy people and helping people and, you know, all the customer service stuff. Yeah. Um, I work with uh, young mums or single mums that have issues with their babies or their children and, like, sleep or behaviour or eating. Um, love it because I get to just share my own experience and just get to love them and be there for them and listen to them. So, yeah. Uh, I work for uh, the council and I enjoy it because uh, I'm helping the community. So I know that uh, a lot of people need council's uh, uh, business. So, yeah, I enjoy it. Well, we did started foster caring um, uh, for teenagers um, and that has been very rewarding. Uh, I'm a tennis coach at a school in Brisbane and I love tennis. I'm, and I geek out and learning tennis, so being a coach is like... The perfect fit, plus it pays pretty well. So, I've got a window cleaning business, uh, which I've just uh, started up. I have been doing it for quite a number of years previously, but I sold it. I love doing it because you meet lots of people. I'm a dental technician, and I enjoy it because I can give people their smiles back. I'm Christina. I work at the ABC shop in Ringwood, and I love working there because I get to help all the um, the elderly folks just, you know, find DVDs and books, and because they get lost and they're pretty cute when they do that. So I just like doing that. Um, where I work, I work at uh, in the Crown Complex. I work in the city. I work for Crown uh, Casino. I uh, do uh, hotel security, and the, the meaning I find in that there's a lot of opportunities to uh, uh, share your faith and just to uh, just to be a light in, in, a, in a dark place you know just being yourself and just trusting God and uh, allowing him just to you know, use you in whatever you know capacity so I work at Waverly Christian College and I just love working with kids I'm an IT contractor and for me, the work that I do is basically I have to rely on God for every job that I get. So that's where I find that I can actually uh, draw near to God and lean on Him for every job that I do. 
I work at Baker McKenzie's. I'm a lawyer there. I work in the employment team. Um, I find uh, work very meaningful. I interact with people every day and um, I enjoy it and I enjoy working with my colleagues. Let's thank those people for their comments. Interesting. Sorry we didn't get around to everybody, but a good question to ask someone today. What do you do for work and do you enjoy it? We want to talk about work this weekend. I know it is the weekend and often on the weekend you want to get away from work. It's also school holidays, but I think it's important we talk about it. Uh, Someone estimated that probably a third of our time we spend sleeping, uh, a third of our time we spend working, and the other third we spend on the mobile phone. Sorry. No, the other, time, the other third we spend with our family and friends when they're not sleeping, working, or on their mobile phone. And so that means that over 50% of our waking hours are spent in the workplace. And so how important that we talk about that. Now, many of you would lock in right away. You're an employee right now. You work somewhere. You get paid for a job. So you go, yeah, this is relevant for me. There'd also be employers here today, people who employ others. There'd be some self-employed people, maybe some unemployed people. Maybe you're between jobs at the moment. And so this will be relevant for you. I also realize there are students here today. We've got high school students and university university students, but how many know students work too? Some of the time. Uh, They don't get paid, but as someone who's done some undergraduate and postgraduate studies, I can tell you writing an essay is hard work. And so for the students, this is going to be relevant for you today. And then, of course, we have probably some stay-at-home mums and dads, and they work also. We're warming up. Sometimes I'll be chatting to a guy in the foyer and after I'm talked to, maybe had a chat about his work, I'll say, oh, what does your wife do? And he'll go, some of them will say, oh, my wife doesn't work. She's a stay-at-home mum. And I look at him and think, you, you are in deep trouble. <laughs> How many know a woman's work is never done? Here are all the ladies quoting there. <laughs> Guys with me, a woman's work is? Good, good. I, I mean, where do mums go to resign? You, you can't resign. So if you're a stay-at-home mum, then you're working too. We've got some stay-at-home dads too also. And thankfully, though gradually and reluctantly, we're seeing guys in our generation start to help a little with the domestic work. <laughs> Starting to, you know, things like maybe dishes or lunches or washing. And, and just a little hint for you ladies, you know, when us guys do something domestic, you need to know it comes with a loud announcement. <laughs> Honey, just did the dishes. You, you know, it's got, if it doesn't get noticed, it wasn't really done. You know, so, so you just need to understand, you'll never hear a woman go, Honey, I've just cleaned the room. Like she doesn't need to announce that. Guys, we kind of need to announce and get that vote of thanks. And so whether you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, there would be lots of people here that are retired, our seniors. Could I suggest to you that our seniors work hard too? Uh, some great grandparents, our seniors and retired people are some of the best volunteers in the church and in community organizations, and they work also. And so what I'm really saying is all of us work, hopefully, whether we're getting paid for it or not. And today, we want to talk about our work life. Uh, It's estimated that in our lifetime, most people will have anywhere from five to seven different career changes, and on average, 10 different jobs during your working life, for an average of a little over four years per job. Start thinking about all the jobs you've had. You know, for me, uh, I grew up in America, finished my high school there. My first job 
was uh, a part-time job working at a cabinet maker's shop. I was pretty uh, kind of intrigued by cabinet making, but all I did all week was sweep up sawdust and uh, all of the, uh, the kind of uh, mess that these guys made. And so it wasn't quite as inspiring as I thought it would be. So I did that for a while. And then I worked for a builder's renovator. Uh, and I learned to do framing and plastering and painting, learned to do tiling. And uh, it, it was a really uh, enjoyable job. I was glad I learned all those skills because later when I got married, we've done lots of renovations in houses. And so I did that for a while. I then worked for a bookbinder. There was a Franciscan monk named Wenceslas Farlow. And he still had that old uh, skill of binding books by hand with the needles and putting the covers and gold stamping the leather um, covers. And so I did that for a little while part-time. And then we came back to Australia. I worked at National Mutual in the city for five years in their printing department. And I was working on uh, printing machines and book bindery and guillotines and used to get on at Laburnan Station and take the train into the city every day. did that for about five years. Then I came on staff at church. I was music director for many years writing songs, playing the piano, leading worship. And then Nicole and I were, you can see I'm helping the average here, can't you? Uh, Nicole and I were youth pastors for five years and really enjoyed that. And then I was church administrator for a year. And then uh, my latest role has been uh, being senior minister, which I really enjoy. It involves uh, lots of different activities, praying for people, praying with people, uh, studying, preparing messages, uh, coaching and training staff and leaders, planning, organizing, and casting vision. And so I really enjoy that. And it also includes trying to meet people's expectations, which uh, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. I had a, uh, a situation where I was a little on the edge in meeting someone's expectation a few years ago. I was in the foyer and a little girl ran up to me, gave me a hug, and she goes, uh, how's my dog? Are you looking after my dog? Well, this is a new one. And uh, as I was contemplating my answer, uh, thankfully her mother whispered in my ear and said, look, uh, our family dog just died, and uh, we've told her that the dog is with Jesus. Uh, the trouble is she thinks you're Jesus. <laughs> so, you know, every job has its pressures. Every job has its expectations, and so there's some of the jobs I've been involved in through the years, and I wonder what jobs you've had. Uh, maybe you're like me, you've had lots of changes, or maybe you're doing uh, the one thing for a long time. I don't know, maybe you're looking for something new. I was reading an article this week about some highly unusual but high-paid jobs available in Australia, and so maybe for some of you, just a little advert here for you. Uh, the, the Royal Australian Navy right now are advertising, and they're really struggling to get cooks for their submarines, $200,000 a year. So come on, all you master chef people. It's a little confined. If you forget the milk, you just can't run and get it. <laughs> Submarine cooks is in high demand. Another interesting one was shark taggers. <laughs> on a boat, hauling in great white sharks, you help put an implant and then you throw the shark back over. A little dangerous, but pretty exciting. Uh, I hear that crime scene cleaners are also in demand. <laughs> Got to have the stomach for it. Crime scene cleaners. And another really in-demand job is fortune cookie writers. <laughs> True story. Got to have a creative and imaginative mind. I could see some of you doing that. 
some of you are thinking differently about your fortune cookie when you open it now, aren't you? So there's some jobs that are in demand. But hey, let's look at God's word and see what he has to say about our work. We're going to go right back to the beginning of our Bible, to Genesis chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible with you, how about we turn there today? Father, thank you that you are interested in every area of our life. Today, as we talk about our work and your work. I pray for each one of us, whatever stage of life we may find ourselves in, that you would really speak to us personally, powerfully, and practically today. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 1, as you know, is the story of the creation of the world. And at the end of chapter 1, it says, then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And chapter 2, verse 1 says, so the creation of the heavens and the earth, and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day. He declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is a fascinating beginning to the sacred scriptures of the Christian faith. In the beginning, God worked. It's in total contrast to every other religion, and even like the Greek gods, for instance. The Greek gods never worked. They fought, but they never worked. And great philosophers like Plato and Aristotle, uh, their philosophy of life was work is for the slaves. Work is for the craftspeople. You know, uh, they're the ones to keep society running. The elite, we spend our time philosophizing, reflecting on the meaning of life. In contrast to all that, here we have the Christian God actually working and creating over a seven-day period, and not just working, finding delight in his work, finding joy, finding satisfaction, finishing his work and going, that's really good. I'm really pleased with what I've created. This is unique to the Christian faith. Uh, And right through the Bible, we see God continuing to work, not only as creator, but also as redeemer. I'll just quote John 5.17. Jesus said, my father is always working. Say that again. My father is always working. Uh, For some of you, that relates to your family. (laughs) My dad's always working. And we'll talk about that problem next week. My father is always working and I am too. And so he's a God that works in creation, that continues to work in redemption. And then as we come back to Genesis 2, We fast forward down to verse 15, and it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden. He placed the man in the garden there, and it says to work it and to take care of it. And so not only is God a worker, he created human beings in his image. We have his DNA in us, and Adam and Eve were created to work and to tend to care this garden here. And so we see work is not something that comes after sin. It's part of paradise. It's part of God's plan for the world. There's this cycle of six days of work and one day of rest. In fact, later on in the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments was, you will work six days and then you will rest on the Sabbath. And so we reflect the nature of God. And so work is not a necessary evil. It wasn't a punishment for sin. It was a basic part of who God is and who he's created us to be. In fact, if you do a bit of a study through the scriptures, there are many metaphors used to describe God's nature and character. A metaphor is a picture or an image that gives you something to think about what God's like. 
What's really unusual is right through the scriptures, God is frequently described using occupational metaphors. Let me give you a, a brief list of them. God is described as a composer, someone who composes music and sings over us as his people. God is described as a metal worker. God is described as a potter who is making a vessel with his hands. God is described as a garment maker, as a gardener, as a farmer, as a winemaker, as a shepherd, as a tent maker, as a carpenter, as a builder. God is described as an architect designing things. And so God is described in all of these occupational images. And you don't have the sense of a hierarchy of jobs. You know, sometimes in our culture, we kind of think, well, there's the, the CEOs, the managers, the executives, the knowledge workers, and then there's all the kind of menial manual jobs. You don't get that in the scriptures. There is a dignity to all of work in the scriptures. In fact, God's first uh, metaphor is God planted a garden. Anyone planted a garden lately? Getting your hands dirty. God reveals himself first as a gardener and then later when Jesus comes on the scene, what did Jesus do for 30 years? He's a carpenter working with his hands. I wonder what kind of chairs Jesus made. I wonder what kind of tables he Produced. And so here is God as a gardener, God as a carpenter, showing us that all work has dignity, all work has value. And uh, so it's really important for us to realize that. Unfortunately for many today, when you hear the word work, some people in their mind right away attach the word secular to it. Have you ever heard that phrase, secular work? Where does that come from? It's interesting that many of the early church fathers described work as secular, as outside the domain of the sacred. Let me quote St. Jerome to you. St. Jerome, he was a 4th century theologian, church leader. This is what he said, a merchant can seldom, if ever, please God. How many would have been encouraged by that sermon that day? In other words, if you're out in the marketplace buying and selling, bad luck, you can never Please, God. St. Augustine, a contemporary of St. Jerome. St. Augustine said this, business is in itself evil. I wonder if he had a business group in his church. Business is in and of itself evil. Where does this thinking come from? These are great men of God that did a lot of great thinking and work for the church. But, you know, all statements have to be evaluated by the Scriptures. And unfortunately, these men had been influenced by Greek philosophy. And in Greek philosophy, there was a segmentation between what is sacred and what is secular. And the sacred was the domain of the spiritual. And we're here today, we're doing something sacred. And ministers and priests, they're sacred. But everything outside of that is secular. It's not spiritual. It's not sacred. You know, that's the total opposite to the Hebrew worldview and to the biblical worldview that sees all of life as sacred. Every Israelite used to say each day something called the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And it goes like this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you will love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength. That statement was not just about monotheism in contrast to the pluralism of all the pagan nations. It's not just say, saying there's one God. It was a statement that God is over every area of life. 
Because their pagan neighbors would live like this. They would go out into the field and they believed there was a God of the field. So they'd offer a sacrifice that the God would bless their harvest. And then they'd walk down to the river and there was another different God over the river. And so they'd pray a prayer to the God of the river. Then they'd climb up a mountain and there's another God of the mountain. They went through life thinking that there were different gods over different spheres and they had to try to please all of their gods. This Shema every day was undermining that pluralistic worldview and saying, the Lord our God, he is one God. He is God of the field. He's God of the river. He's God of the mountain. He's God over every area of life. And so I think for us, we have to watch. We don't buy into this dualism that says what we do here is sacred, but what I do tomorrow morning is secular. No, no, all of life is sacred. And this gets into our, into, even into our, our speaking. Sometimes we say, isn't it wonderful to be in God's presence today? It is, isn't it? But you know what? You'll be in God's presence tomorrow. Sometimes we say, isn't it great to be in God's house today? And it is, but God doesn't live here. He's not going to be here all week saying, please come back and visit me. Next week, will you come next week? I'll miss you. God doesn't live here. When this meeting is over, you and I are the house of God. He lives in and through us all through the week. Another prayer we say regularly is, Lord, be with us. And if we could hear God answer, he'd say, I already am. My name is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus' last promise was, lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. And, And so don't pray, God, be with us. Pray like this. Thank you, God. You are with me. What we need is not the presence of God. We need an awareness of the presence of God that he is with us all the time and interested in what we're doing. Let's look at what Paul said about this in Colossians chapter 1, actually chapter 3, verses 17. Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do. Well, what does whatever include? Whatever. Whatever includes your job. It includes what you're doing at home tomorrow. It includes you as a student. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. What does all include? Everything. Whatever you do, in word or deed, in all that you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What would it look like to do everything in the name of Jesus? The the phrase in the name of Jesus means to do it representing him and with an awareness that he is with you and interested in what you're doing. What would it look like to do every day in the name of Jesus? To wake up in the morning and to begin the day to realize, Jesus, you're with me, to converse with him, to talk with him, to to greet the people in our home as Jesus would greet them. What would it look like to drive like Jesus would drive? That's an interesting thought. (laughs) What would it look like to make your eating choices as Jesus would make those choices? What would he eat? What would he buy? What products would he buy? What what would it look like to make your entertainment choices as if Jesus was there making those choices? What would it look like to work as Jesus would work if he was doing my job? Are you following me? Discipleship is not just attending a church meeting, attending a life group, or sitting in a life tracks class. They're part of it. Discipleship is all of our lives, learning to do every part of our life as if Jesus is with me and I'm here to live life representing him. Your work, 
is God's work. He's very interested in every aspect of our life. Now, we, we could pause here and say, wow, you've got this great, beautiful, idealistic picture of work as having dignity and value and significance, and that's true. But let's not forget that work has been dramatically affected by sin. If you keep reading Genesis 3, you'll discover that because of sin, God didn't curse work, but work became affected by the curse. We have something called thorns and thistles. Every gardener would identify with this, along with the beautiful flowers and the fruit and the trees. We've got weeds, and so thorns and thistles entered our work environment. We have sweat now, and so work has been influenced because of sin. And although work still has dignity and value and significance, there is now sometimes a frustration that comes into our work world. Any one of us would be able to talk about that, even those of us who work at church. I always tell people, ministry at church, there's a fulfillment dimension. There's a lot of things that are fulfilling, but there's always some frustrations too. And so the frustrations of our work could just be working with people that uh, sometimes can be a little annoying or a little unreliable. They don't keep their word. Sometimes it's just the tiredness. We get fatigued by the work. Sometimes we just get bored by the routine of work, the sameness of it. Sometimes we don't achieve as much as we'd like to in a day. Do you ever have that problem? You know, you allow an hour for something and it takes three hours. And so work can sometimes be fruitless. Work can sometimes feel pointless. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, which I reckon every Christian should read the book of Ecclesiastes just once a year. It can be a little depressing, but here's a guy who basically spent his life getting pleasure, getting knowledge, and achieving amazing things through his work. But in the end, he says, what's it all mean? When I die, who's going to remember me? And someone else is going to spend my money. And he's looking at the fact that under the sun, even work can sometimes not fulfill to the dimension we'd like it to, unless we gain a heavily perspective on our work. And so work has dignity, work has value, but yes, it's been affected by the fall, by sin. Uh, In our final few minutes, I want to just lay a bit of a foundation for what is God's purpose for our work? Uh, This year, our theme is Devote Three, and we want to devote ourselves to pray a little bit more passionately, to share more intentionally, and we spent the whole month of March talking about sharing, and to serve more wholeheartedly. And you know, I would do a disservice to you as a pastor to limit serving to what happens in our church activities. Uh, We appreciate all of our volunteers. If it wasn't for our volunteers, church would stop today, but Serving is not just what you do, volunteering in various church ministries. Serving includes everything you do in the rest of your life. I think it's important that we talk about that and get God's perspective on our work. Everyone doing okay this morning? So let me give you a few thoughts on why we work, what is the purpose of your job, and for some of you business owners here today, here's a good biblical philosophy for business. Why does your business exist? Let me give you a few thoughts from the scriptures. Number one, I think first of all, we need to see our work as existing to glorify God. If you're a follower of Christ, your job, your task, your career, your business, you need to see, number one, that I am engaging in this because I want to bring glory to God. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, there's that big word again, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. 
Now, the context is some ethical decisions about eating meat or not eating meat. And he's saying, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever choices you make, as you engage in the daily routines of your life, think about what's going to bring glory to God. What will glorify God? What will lift him up? What will represent God? And we need to see the Great Commission is not just a geographical or even an ethnic mandate. We're going to talk at the end of this month about world impact and going to nations is the Greek word ethnos. And we have a call to go to people groups that haven't heard the name of Jesus. But the Great Commission is also cultural in that Jesus says, go into all the world. That's the Greek word cosmos, from which we get the word cosmopolitan. And Jesus is saying, don't just go to people groups, but I want you to go to every sector of society, uh, to family, to religion, to education, to government, to business, to arts and entertainment, into every sphere of society. I want my disciples there shining my light. And many of those areas have become dark, you know what, because there's been an absence of Christians involved in those areas. And so our calling through our gifts, through our job, through our business is to bring glory to God. Matthew 5, 13 to 16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that they may see your good Think about that word. (laughs) That they might see your good works and glorify my Father in heaven. When people see how we work, is there something different that catches their attention that potentially brings glory to God through the way we go about our work, through the way we live our life, through the ethical choices we make? You know, in the Old Testament, after sharing all the laws, Moses said, you know, when you keep all these laws, other people are going to look at how you live and go, aren't these people amazing? Don't they have an incredible God who's given them such a wise ethical system? Do people look at the way we work and does it reflect, does it bring glory to God? That's a challenge for each one of us. Micah 6 verse 8, what does God require of us? To act justly. What does justice look like in the workplace? To treat people fair and right and appropriately. To act justly. To love mercy. Uh, How how do we treat people in the workplace? Our customers, our employees, our employers, our competitors. And to walk humbly rather than being uh, filled with the pride and the arrogance that so often fills our culture. To, To glorify God through what we do. See, the truth is, you and I, as we go to our workplaces, to our homes, to our campuses, we may be the only Bible that people ever read. They're looking at us. They are watching us. Uh, Colossians, there's so many scriptures here. Colossians 5, 4 to 5, Paul says this. Think about your workplace with this statement. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Think of where you work. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. I love that. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response to everybody. As I go about my work, as I run this business, let the way I live, let the choices I make, the quality of my work ultimately bring glory to God. 
The story is told of Michelangelo. You've heard of Michelangelo. He's an amazing artist and creative person. We have many sculptures and paintings that he did. Uh, He spent four years painting the roof of the Sistine Chapel. If you've ever been to Italy, it's an amazing building. And he had other helpers. But four years, think about it, on a scaffold that probably didn't have occupational health and safety stuff you know, there keeping him uh, you know, as safe as he needed to be. But uh, during that four-year period, that's a long project, he was in one corner of this chapel where it was quite dark and he was spending a lot of uh, effort just in, in the detail of what he's painting. And apparently someone said to him, Michelangelo, uh, no one's going to really see that particular area. Why are you putting so much work there? And, and without hesitation, he says, God will see. I love that. I love that. I'm not just doing this job, this painting for you, to impress you, to have people applaud me. I'm working to bring glory to God. God's going to see this area here, and I want it to represent and to have him say, hey, that's really well done. Your work, your job, your business exists to glorify God. Number two, the second purpose of our work is to serve people. Every job, if you think about the job that you do, every job, every task, every business exists to add value to people, to either offer them a service or a product. If it doesn't do that, then you really have no market. You exist to to bring value, to improve the quality of life in people's world. That's why your, your business exists. That's what your job is about. In fact, imagine today if you got up this morning and everyone in Melbourne had decided to quit working today. Imagine what today would look like. You would get here, and the car park attendants would be on strike. There'd be no one to help you find a car spot. Raw, drop your children off. It's an empty room. Volunteers didn't turn up. No musicians today. They didn't rock up. Uh, Preacher doesn't have anything to say. Lights aren't on. Church doesn't happen. You leave here today. All the cafes, all the restaurants are closed. Go to the milk bar. There's nothing on the shelves. Try to phone someone. Phone's not working. Go home. No electricity. Can't watch TV. Oh my God, it's Armageddon, the end of the world. No sport on. Some of you are really depressed now. Some of you are pretty excited. Just imagine if everyone quit working in Melbourne today. You know our entire society would collapse. Our entire world. Now some of you, just for a few moments, that would be nice. But when you started to get a little hungry, you'd start worrying. It's because people are doing their job that we can exist and do life. And so when you go to the milk bar and you, you buy that loaf of bread or you grab that, that, that uh, bottle of orange juice, thank God someone's growing an orange tree somewhere. Someone's looking after it. Someone's squeezing the orange juice. You know, our job is a service to people. In fact, think about this this way. Your job is your way to love your neighbor. Jesus says, love God. Love your neighbor. How do you love your neighbor? Through your job. You may be offering insurance. You may be designing a, a building. You may be putting in some landscaping. You may be helping them with their IT needs. Your job is a way to love your neighbor. Quite simple, but quite profound when we realize our work is to glorify God and to serve people. And Jesus is our model here. You'll remember in Matthew 20, 28, uh, disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. They're there into prominence. They're into uh, prestige and status and who's going to sit where. And Jesus says, hey, guys, you got this all wrong. That's not why we're doing what we're doing. He says, if you want to be great, become a servant. And he says, even the Son of Man, 
came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for many. Have you ever looked at Jesus through the eyes of business or work and think about how he went about his work? He did an amazing job. You talk about a communicator, people are still marveling at Jesus who was able to speak to crowds and the gospel said the crowds listened to him with delight. That's a pretty high bar for every communicator. In fact, he so ministered and touched people's real needs that people not only uh, really enjoyed his ministry and the healings and the miracles, they told others, they became raving fans and said, you got to go here, Jesus. And you talk about customer service, you talk about quality business, Jesus sets a pretty high bar. How do we go about our work, our job? Do we serve people so well that they go, wow, you've got to go back. You know, that, that cafe, they serve great coffee. They're, they're waitresses. You know, they're, they're, they're servants. Do, do people rave about how we serve? Jesus sets us a model to realize that what we do exists to serve people and be a blessing to their life. Everyone said amen. Uh, number three, third purpose of work, of your business, uh, is to provide meaningful contribution. Uh, every one of us are born with this innate desire, this need to, to make a difference, to do something with our life. We, uh, we quoted uh, Hugh Mackay early in the year. He's an Australian sociologist who does a lot of study of uh, our culture. And we talked about his research in the need or the desire to belong. And how every human being needs a, a connection with others. Uh, in that same research, he found another need. He calls it the need to be useful. And no one wants to be useless. We all want to be useful. And so your job is a means for you to channel your creative energies, your skills, your talents, and to use them to contribute. And so your work gives you that particular opportunity. And every one of us have that need for contribution. If we don't, we need a bit of a slap around the head, don't we? Uh, even Paul, he was writing to a church in Thessalonians, Thessalonica, and they were kind of thinking Jesus was coming back any minute. And so people weren't working anymore. They were kind of sitting around being idle, uh, chatting, gossiping, sticking their nose into other people's business. And read Second Thessalonians 3. He goes, if you're not working, you shouldn't be eating. It's a novel thought. Come on, this is Paul, the great revelation man. He says, if you're not working, if you're not contributing, if you're not serving and making a difference, well, you shouldn't be sponging and parasiting on the community. Every one of us need to, as we're able, to make some form of contribution. In fact, I think just a little footnote here. It's interesting for young people growing up today to consider what value system do we use to select our career? It's interesting how a lot of people look for a job just because it pays a lot of money or just because there's a status symbol with that particular job. Would it be better to maybe ask some questions like, what's the greatest need in society and how can I meet that need? There's a lot of people studying and getting degrees in areas that don't always match what the greatest needs are. In our world, should we be saying, where is the greatest needs? Should we be looking at ourselves and say, well, what is my best contribution? Sure, that might pay a little bit more. Sure, that might have a bit more status and prestige. But if I'm really good at this, maybe that's a higher value in choosing a job or career. I see some people move town because they've got a job that pays more money. Well, is more money the only kind of quadrant that you look at in choosing a job? 
And so think about your gifts and your passions. If you can find what you're good at and what you're passionate about, you're at the beginning of discovering your life mission. Because your life mission intersects the gifts that you have and the things that you're deeply concerned about. In fact, uh, one little tip for young people in uh, thinking about where you best fit is to ask yourself, what annoys you? You may never have thought about that, but ask yourself, what do you get really annoyed about? What do you get angry? That may be a key to your contribution. You know, if you get annoyed about things that are boring, that are the same, that are routine, you probably have a creative gift that needs to be released to add some color to our world. Praise God for the artistics and the creatives in our world. Maybe you're here and you're a person that hates things that are disorganized. They don't run on time. No one knows what's going on. It's all over the place like a dog's breakfast. You possibly have a gift of administration, of bringing things into order, bringing chaos and organizing it. Uh, You know, if you're someone that gets really annoyed when people are overlooked or neglected or walked by or no one called them, no one followed up on them, then you probably got a pastoral gift. You've got a heart of mercy that really wants people to feel loved. Are you following me? Think about what makes you angry, what annoys you. That might be a key to you discovering your best contribution in our world. And so your job, your work, is an opportunity for you to contribute. Now, I hear some of you saying, where is the money? Where is the money? Number four, the fourth reason for work for those of us who do get paid is to generate wealth. Uh, Your paycheck... Uh, is simply a payment in exchange for service or for a product. And so God has designed work and business as a means of generating wealth. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18, a very important scripture. Let me quote this to you. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18, Remember the Lord your God. It is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant which He promised to His forefathers as it is today. I wish that scripture said, God gives you wealth. Show me the money. Thank you, Lord. I'm open. I've got big arms. Pour it down. It doesn't say God gives you wealth. It says God gives you the ability to produce wealth. God has, in the scriptures, linked hard work with the acquisition of wealth so that we develop the character and maturity to handle the wealth. That's one reason why gambling is always a huge risk. First of all, your chance of winning the lottery is only one in seven million anyway. You're more likely to be hit by lightning than to win the lottery. But the problem with winning the lottery is you acquire a lot of money without any hard work. You haven't developed the character and the maturity to handle that money. That's why most people within a short period of time, they've lost all that money. They're back to where they were. God gives you and I the ability to acquire, to produce wealth. And so uh, as we work, then there's some return and we can meet our needs and our family's needs and we can hopefully manage our resources to have enough to give away, to bless others and to invest in God's kingdom. And so that's just a brief outline of why I think business exists what your job is all about, to glorify God, to serve people, to give me an opportunity to have a sense of contribution and to to generate some wealth, to meet needs and to to bless others. And so as we begin our series today with this uh, introduction, this foundation, I I wonder how your job is going. What what are you doing for work? Are you enjoying it? And what would it look like to 
Maybe see your job in a new perspective. Some of you may need a new job. Maybe it's calling the Navy and talking about that cooking job in the submarine. (laughs) That's okay to change jobs. But maybe some of us don't need a new job. We need a new perspective on the job we already have. Listen very carefully. A job can become a calling if you sense someone sending you to do it with a sense of mission. A job, a task, can become a calling if you see someone sending you to do that. If I said to Derek here today, uh, you know, the Prime Minister or the President of the United States or the Queen of England or the Senior Minister of City Life is asking you, Derek, whoever you esteem the most, <laughs> Derek, I'd like you to, when this meeting's done, grab a broom and sweep the foyer. You could just look at that as a broom sweep. It's a pretty menial task. But, you know, if Derek has a sense of someone important in his world has asked him to do this, then it's not just a job, it's a calling. And I tell you what, the way he sweeps that area is going to be affected by the perspective he has on his job. And so what would it look like tomorrow morning to go to work, maybe the same work, same people, same challenges, same frustrations, but to realize it's not just a job, it's not just a task. God has sent me. He's called me. He's positioned me here. And I'm on a mission for God here. Wow. How could that affect how I go about my work to to glorify God, to to serve people, to say, wow, i got a job. i got a chance to contribute. And what a blessing that could make in our world. Everyone said amen. 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 Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you today that you are interested in every area of our life. Uh, save us from this dualistic thinking that thinks that only spiritual things are sacred. All of life is sacred. And God, you've revealed yourself right from the beginning as a worker, as a creator, who looked on his work and said, that's really good. And I pray we'd be able to look on our work and, and be proud of it and feel good about it. Even in the midst of frustrations and challenges and the effects of sin, a fall in a broken world, that we would find some fresh dignity some fresh value, some fresh purpose in our work. Lord, we commission and we ordain people to ministry. And we often think of pastors or church planners or missionaries. But today, could we see ourselves as all ordained, all commissioned? And as we go to our same old job this week, just help us to see it, not just as a job, not just as a task, but as a calling this week. And that we would work to your glory, to serve people well and to be a light for you, to see those opportunities to also share our faith. I pray for people today that are maybe out of work right now, that you would provide for them. I pray for people here today that are facing frustration in work. Maybe right now the frustration's far outweighing the, the fulfillment. Lord, today would you just come alongside them and give them grace and wisdom. And for all of us today as we go, whether we're a student, Grandma, grandpa, senior, self-employed, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, employee, employer, wherever you've positioned us, help us to see what we do on a daily basis. You are there with us and you're interested. And we could do life in your name, reflecting you, bringing you glory, bringing you praise. We ask that today in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Next week, we're going to talk a bit about how our work matters. 
We talk a little bit about work-life balance and what about how, how much work is too much and a few other questions like that. So look forward to seeing you then. God bless you. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.